This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 12, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. If NATO members in Europe want to be protected from aggression, perhaps they should spend just a little more on their own defense, rather than depend on the United States for an open-ended guarantee of their security. That from Cato Institute senior fellow Doug Bandow at the March 4th event, The Future of NATO and the Transatlantic Security Framework. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. There are important issues to talk about. You know, NATO's future and European security. Of course, it's interesting. We're discussing these issues in the midst of uh, the Asian pivot, which this administration has promoted. And it was supposed to be a profound reorientation of American foreign policy. <clears throat> Yet at the moment, the United States is engaged in a new war in the Middle East and is confronting Russia in Europe. And one starts to wonder about what kind of a pivot it really was. But I do think the pivot does raise the important issue of priorities which is certainly from World War I through the Cold War, Europe was the priority. The United States was prepared to go to war to ensure that uh, Europe was not dominated by a power viewed as hostile. It was prepared to uh, you know, put American troops in to abandon its historic policy of pretty much kind of strategic independence and a splendid isolation. And you know, it was only when you got to the end of the Cold War where that suddenly started to change. And I think for good reason starting to look at economic issues, security issues, the dynamism of kind of the region, all of these suggest that Asia was taking on extraordinary importance that would grow in the future relative to that of Europe. And especially, I think most important from an American security standpoint, that Asia is the host of the one country one can imagine as a peer competitor to the United States. It is not, it is not Russia. It is not Russia. It is China. So from an American standpoint, where do you want to put your resources? And the, tra- the problem for America is that rich though we are, resources are not infinite. So you've got to make choices. And that, I think, kind of animated this idea within the administration of a pivot or rebalance because Europeans pointed out that if you pivot toward, you're pivoting away, and they were insulted to be pivoting away from them. Well, rebalance, as if that was something different. And I think that it should be clear that the United States can't do everything that, uh, you know, so if you want to kind of increase resources in one region, you're going to have to take them from somewhere else. So the question is, can you maintain your resources in Europe and pivot to Asia? And that, I think, is a very important issue. If the U.S. really believes Asia is more important, China is more dangerous, it's got to come from somewhere. I think even more important to my mind is the change in the world. Now, foreign policy should be reality-based. It should be based on practical circumstances, on uh, you know, kind of the world as we find it. And I would argue that the world has changed extraordinarily since NATO was created. You know, NATO was created, you, know, you look at the 1950s, the 1960s, I would argue NATO made sense. Kind of our side, in terms of Europe, was divided, war-torn, fractious. There was still an extraordinary fear of Germany. I mean, there's a fear of Germany now, but it's a rather different sort. Talk to the Greeks, and you know they're, they're not terribly happy with uh, Berlin. But it's a very different kind of vision. But back in the 50s and 60s, the whole notion of Germany's role and the thought of German reunification had a very different cast. The second was the other side. I mean, the Soviet Union, plus its satellite states, its alliance, whatever you want to call the Warsaw Pact, was clearly dangerous, a cautious predator, nevertheless willing to take advantage of any opportunity. So America provided this wonderful shield, and I think it made sense as a temporary measure. I mean, Eisenhower warned about dependence of Europe, and those concerns were left unheeded. Of course, you know, the famous aphorism about NATO came from Lord Esme. You know, the purpose of NATO was to keep the Germans down, the Americans in, and the Russians out. 
And all of that made some sense in the 50s and 60s. It's harder to justify them, I think, today. So you look at today, number one, European Union is wealthier than America, a larger population than America. So it's not as if America is defending war-torn, hapless, impoverished countries. It's defending a wealthier aggregation of states than America. And of course, all the Eastern Europeans rushed to join the West. I mean, you know, this kind of alliance with the Soviet Union was never really an alliance. It was an imposed system. And the moment it fell apart, everybody's wanted to come to the other side. And of course, the European Union is far stronger than Russia on any measure that it wants, about eight times the GDP, last time I checked, three times the population. I mean, Russia remains a pale imitation of the Soviet Union, even after 15 years of Vladimir Putin. You know, not a nice place, but it's certainly not the hegemonic ideological competitor for the United States and Europe that the Soviet Union provided. Yet, I would argue, in effect, the Cold War alliance persists. America dominates. I like to call NATO, the, it's North America and the others. I mean, that's really what NATO is. That America, of course, spends the most. I mean, that's always been the case. Europeans consistently fail to keep their promises to spend more. I mean, that was throughout you know, the Cold War, but it's today as well. Even the most threatened European countries don't do very much. The Latvians and Lithuanians, oh, they're not rich, but they spend 1% of GDP on the military. Okay, you're worried about the Russians and you want to spend 1%? And you want us to put troops there. Excuse me. I mean, whose border are we talking about? Even Poland. Poland's below 2%. Poland, at least it's increasing. But Poland, oh my goodness, the terrible Russians. Well, do more. If you really think there's an existential threat, do more. And of course, there's a shameless willingness to flaunt the kind of reliance on America. Last year, I had a, an article that I kind of made an argument about European doing more for its own defense. And a journalist by the name of Konstantin Gurdjieff, who I don't know, but I'm told is a figure of some you know, note in, in journalism circles, tweeted out, Europeans can't afford taking over NATO and our own defense. Imagine the public debt level EU would have to run. Now, has anyone in this audience checked the public debt loads of America? Has anyone ever gone to a conference on Social Security and talked about unfunded liabilities in America? So why should America pile up the public debt? Because Europeans don't want to pile up the public debt. Excuse me. Excuse me. You know, whose defense are we really talking about? And it's not going to get any better. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal today entitled, Europe's Defense Wanes as the Putin Threat Grows, by Ian Burrell, a journalist. And the uh, European uh, Leadership Network just put out a report last month on analysis, the Wales Pledge Revisited, a preliminary analysis of 2015 budget decisions in NATO. Now, the, this is the paragraph to me. Preliminary reports from 14 countries examined for fiscal year 2015 suggest that only one, Estonia, will spend 2% of GDP on defense. Six of the 14 states examined, namely Latvia, Lithuania, Norway, Poland, and the Netherlands, and Romania, will increase their military expenditures but not meet the 2% target. In Poland's case, a further commitment has been made to increase defense spending to 2% in 2016. Six countries will cut defense expenditures in 2015. These include the UK, the most important other member of NATO, Germany, the wealthiest member of NATO, Canada, another wealthy industrialized state in NATO, Hungary, Italy, another major economy in NATO, and Bulgaria. France is on course for a flat defense budget in 2015, while America is increasing its own. Now, the reality is this doesn't make sense. 
And it exists because America's turned Europeans into dependents. And what's ironic is that for an alliance that's kind of diminishing its military potential, it spent a lot of time searching for other uh, roles. When the Cold War ended, there were a lot of folks kind of in NATO who were really scared about what will NATO become. And at the time, there are these weird discussions that about whether it should try to fight the drug war, or it should get involved in environmental issues, student exchanges. I once wrote an article suggesting that we could turn tanks into bookmobiles, or kind of send them out, shoot books out or something. I mean, you don't need a military alliance for student exchanges or something. Then, then it turned into kind of democracy promotion, which you have NATO expansion, which to my mind, a lot of that was to replace the uh, EU, was the way you bring countries into this democratic concert, expand NATO. And I think a lot of in America like that because America is part of NATO, but it's not part of the EU. So kind of the one you want to use is use the one you're part of, not have the Europeans do it, because as the Americans all know, they can't do anything right anyway. What would they do without us? And then, of course, we've gotten into out-of-area kind of uh, military action, collective uh, security. And I would argue that it's actually been bad for security. I mean, you look at the wars we got involved in. I mean, the Kosovo War. You know, that, I mean, what a mess. It goes, so, I mean, there, we helped encourage the breakup of Yugoslavia. Then we took just one side. We didn't care if the other side did ethnic cleansing. We win in Kosovo. We don't care if our friends do ethnic cleansing. It's still a mess. You know, we have set up our own borders and then tell everybody else they can't change their borders. Strikes me, what a mess there. Then there's Afghanistan. Made sense to get rid of Al-Qaeda. I'm not sure what we're doing 13 years later trying to create democracy in Central Asia. Libya has been one of the great catastrophes. And you know, Ukraine, when kind of talking about treating it as kind of an almost ally, I mean, the people who propose to put troops there and all sorts of things. And I think what we're doing here is we're not giving responsibility to the right countries for the right wars. You know, in both Afghanistan and Libya, in a sense, one side got everybody else involved. America wants to go to Afghanistan and drags everybody else in. And Europeans, particularly Europe, um, UK and France, want to go to Libya, so they want to drag America in. So you're getting bad wars that don't make sense because you know, the people who really want them aren't paying the entire cost, especially if they can offload it onto the United States. So what we see today is the United States is defending not just core Europe, which was viewed as vital to American interests, but I'd kind of say you know, the helpless, the luckless, the irrelevant. I mean, I call the Baltics the helpless. I mean, they're small countries, hard to see how they defend themselves. Poland is luckless, given where it's located. At least Germany's not such a problem anymore, but you think of bad neighborhoods, they lived in it for centuries. The Balkans, I view, is irrelevant. I mean, Montenegro should be part of NATO. Why? And then, uh, you know, throw in Georgia and Ukraine as kind of potential uh, conflicts, I think, are far worse. Instead of adding allies to NATO that have actually made the major alliance members more secure, adding allies has made it less secure. It's brought in countries that are, in fact, security black holes. They have very little military potential. They bring conflicts along with them. They extend America's reach, and they extend uh, you know, the reach of the security uh, guarantees. So the alliance has changed dramatically since the end of the Cold War, and I think not in a very good way. I'd argue that it's become a bad deal all around. So what we need is change, not just reform. I mean, there's all sorts of proposals for reform. And certainly, you know, the NATO could be helped by greater European interoperability and coordination and innovation, all these things that get talked about. But you know, if you look at the history of NATO, especially in recent times, both American officials, especially the Secretary of Defense, as well as the NATO uh, you know, General Secretary, you know, Secretary General, they all they beg, they demand, they cajole, they threaten, they whine. I mean, it's really kind of appalling. I mean, Secretary of Defense whines. Why don't you spend more? Oh my goodness, you got to spend more. I mean, NATO officials come and I go to lunches, and yes, yes, all of our members should spend more, and it doesn't happen. 
And it won't. Because Europeans look at this and say, what are the threats that we face? I don't see them. We have economic problems, and America will defend us. So why on earth? Why on earth should we do this? The US has helped turn Europe into helpless dependence, and it's consciously sought to discourage European independence. I mean, it's not just the defense guarantee, but the US has always been very upset with the EU wants to do something independently. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? How can the world operate without America leading, whether it's from behind or in front? Doesn't really matter, I suppose. And this is a very bad situation to be in. And I would argue the out-of-area operations, I think, are a great mistake. That one, you know, one can have coalitions of the willing where you have shared interests to operate. That we should limit you know, European defense to kind of the core. That's the core function. You don't need NATO to do, whatever that means, tsunamis or Libya or Afghanistan or something else. What you need to do is find countries that are committed as opposed to drag everybody in because they're part of the alliance and they're kind of browbeaten into doing it. Now, I do think some sort of a continental security architecture and organization is necessary, but there's no reason to have one that's dominated by the United States. The US should be interested. It should be willing to act if necessary, kind of an offshore balancer, I suppose. But unlike Asia, Europe lacks the kind of security threat to America that one can imagine of a hegemonic kind of peer competitor of any sort. Russia's not going to fill the bill. Russia's not China. Russia's not even Europe in terms of its capabilities. Putin's a thug, but it's very bounded in terms of abilities, I think, and ambitions compared to the past. It's time to turn primary responsibility for Europe over to Europe. We need to discuss how to do it. It could be through the EU, some kind of an organization out of that. It could be a NATO without the US or a NATO with America as an associate member. One could imagine various formulations of how that would take. But it is time to change things. You know, we have a crisis now with Ukraine. And it's a real mess. But the question ultimately is, is what is America's security? And is America's security promoted by confronting a country with nuclear weapons over issues that it views as vital on its border? It strikes me that Russia today is kind of a, the pre-1914 great power. It wants respect. It cares about its borders. And those things it will play very tough and mean with. It's unfortunate if you're on the border. It's unfortunate if you're part of Ukraine or, or Georgia. But the question of American interest should guide American policy. <clears throat> and I think what we see today in many ways is what NATO is doing is trying to solve problems that it helped create. Not cause, but certainly contributed to with a whole bunch of other policies that have gotten us to where we are. The NATO today, I would argue, is not really serving American security interests. And that should be the fundamental objective for the United States. Thank you. Doug Bandow is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work and watch the full event at Cato.org.